where does your activism come from? I used to think that it was a reactionary process. I was so wrong. Activism is a part of me and my values. Staying silent has never been an option. Maybe that's a moral thing. Maybe I just have a big mouth. Whatever the case, I know that I am passionate about changing things and about making this world better, more livable for everyone, not just myself. What do I have to say for that passion at the end of 2020? What did I do? I remember sitting at home, scrolling through Instagram, posting infographics, signing petitions, and mourning the loss of a year to protest. I did not attend any physical protests this year. I told myself that there wasn't any space for it in the context of the pandemic. Ultimately, my inaction did not come from a place of badness, instead not knowing where to start. I'm pretty new to the activist sphere and no one gives you a handbook on how to organise or how to start protests. I just knew I wanted to act. As a white woman living in a privileged country, this was time to recognise my privilege and find allyship with my fellow activists. I needed to call myself out. And without a crowd, there's no protest. I needed to find a crowd. Where I come from, the world of activism, is a surprisingly secretive group of people, and they are so damn dedicated. In my experience, online activism is an echo chamber. That's a criticism of nobody. Social media is made from algorithms that surround you with what you want to hear. Technology has revolutionized my generation, but my generation has yet to revolutionize technology. Talking to activist friends and reading their stories, I've come to realize that many activists feel as though no matter how hard they try, it is not enough. I disagree. If everyone did a little, it would have a lot more impact than a few people doing a lot. I started this podcast to ask some questions. To myself and the current community of activists. Where does your activism end and your performance start? At what stage do you need to find the one thing, no matter how small, that you are passionate about? How can we make activism more accessible? Can activism even be something you can dabble in, or is that approach reserved only for the privileged? So that's what this episode is about. COVID-19 has changed the face of activism forever. But what about the people behind the chants and the signs and the late night webinars? How are y'all holding up? Today, I'll be talking to Theresa Rose Sebastian an Irish-Indian activist who advocates for social and climate justice. We'll be exploring what she describes as looking beyond your own back garden and what that's really about. Welcome to Beyond Our Station, telling the stories behind the action. I'm Grani Condren, and welcome to episode one, Beyond Your Own Back Garden. Welcome, Teresa. 
It is so great to have you here today. I don't get the opportunity to talk to such a young and prominent activist so often. So I have to ask you, where did this journey start? So for me, um, it originally started when I came home to India because I only get to visit home every two years or so just because the flight prices are crazy. Um, and it's also like a 13 hour flight. Um, but what had happened was I had gone over to India and we were expecting like the, the monsoon rains. Like that's just something we expect every year because that's what we're used to. But the rains that had come that year were just torrential. They were unnatural. Um, we had floods coming up in four to five hours, floods up to my knees. And those were the initial floods. Um, the next day, the flood had risen up to my neck and it was just a, a very scary time because we had never seen anything like that. Like the floods that had happened just in my area was up to my neck. In other places, houses were submerged. It was it was crazy how much it had rained um, and the entire effect of it. And unfortunately, we had lost 400 people due to the floods, um, as well as for the other natural disasters that happened at that time. But for me, what really triggered this sort of journey to I'm going to spend the rest of my life working on this was the fact that I was able to come home to a safe, clean house in Ireland. Um, on like a on an impact perspective, my family only lost financial loss as well as the emotional um, loss of kind of experiencing with it. I was very privileged to not lose anyone that I love or having to see my entire house float away because people did see that. You know, people saw their livelihoods float away. Um, so I came home here to Ireland. It was safe. It was clean. I was I didn't have to spend any more money on tickets because thankfully the day my, my flight was booked, um, the airport was free. So I was able to go home. But the point that triggered it the most was the fact that nobody talked about it. Um, especially out here in the in the global north, no one was talking about it. Like I had posted on my social, that was the only way people knew. I came home and I started talking to other friends and they were like, what, this actually happened? Like that's crazy. And the funniest thing was at that time, some of the major news outlets were reporting on Donald Trump's golf trips. Um, and that just, that pissed me off. I was like, you know, we lost 400 people and you're here talking about Donald Trump's golf trips. Um, and it wasn't until after like the diaspora members of my state visited and talked to their own local newspapers and was like, you need to talk about this, that it finally came into a sort of media, um, the media bubble. And that sort of like experience really taught me that this is a privilege I have to have a home here, to be able to be educated, to be able to speak up without being prosecuted. Because the reality is in, in India, if you speak against the current um, political government, it's very likely that you'll be arrested, put on some, it's an unlawful action slash persons act. Um, and I've got friends of mine who have been threatened with it and someone who has been arrested by it. So it was really just me sitting down and being like, this is a privilege I have and a privilege I have to hold myself accountable to. Um, and that day onwards, this has taken over my life. I work on climate and social justice nearly every single day. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I started. As I'm aware, India is part of the most affected people and areas in the context of the climate. Has it been different for you as an activist from a MAPA country? Oh, definitely. We're, we're not even given an opportunity to speak. And if we are, it's for the idea of, okay, how many people can I fit into my diversity quota? It, it, it's, it's crazy because a lot of the times people believe that the climate justice movement started with Greta Thunberg. It didn't. It only came into the global North media aspect because of her actions, which I completely love and respect because it did completely change 
um, the conversation, but indigenous communities and Mapa countries have been talking about this for years. Um, and something that I love is, you know, we were never voiceless. We were just unheard. We've been like indigenous communities, um, people of color, black and indigenous communities have been shouting and screaming about this crisis for so long because the reality is we've known about climate change for what 50 odd years if not more um and it's these communities that have been speaking about it because it started there the impact started there it didn't start like in sweden or in ireland itself so i do agree that um a lot of the times we are tokenized for people to kind of hear okay we need someone because otherwise we're going to get cancelled and it's unfortunate that it's come to this point, but there are people, um, especially there's a lot of white activists now that I'm, I'm sort of working with who ask their, who ask whoever gives them panels, who do you have? Is there accurate representation? And they would actually deny that panel representation if there isn't. Um, I think that's a great step in ensuring that BIPOC individuals are not tokenized and they're given opportunities to speak their truth. Amazing. So. With that, what are your thoughts on the rise of casual online activism? I think there's... I appreciate it. I appreciate the factual and genuine activism that's out there, but there's also this sort of rise in um, media opportunities. And for example, podcasts like this. For me, I'm kind of struggling with that as well. I'll go on to the point of rise of casual online activism for a second, but when you're an activist in today's age, just because a lot of the issues we have are finally getting into the mainstream media, a lot of media want to interview activists. They want to get your names in newspapers, in books, in movies, in documentaries. Um, and obviously we're, we're all humans. There's just a tiny part of us that appreciates that sort of attention, but we have to, the entire point of activism is that you are working against injustice. It's not about yourself, it's about the people around you and it's about the people before you and after you. So. On the rise of casual online activism, I think there's there's a difference between supporting and activism. You know, activism is community organizing. Activism is, maybe I'm not the right person to define it because I'm quite new to it, but for me in itself, there's a difference between educate, educating about the issues in the world, acting on the issues in the world. Um, so there's it's really hard to say because I mean we, we need everyone in this movement regardless whether it's the climate movement the social justice movement the actively anti-racist movement we need everyone so whether to define yourself as an activist or not I'm not too sure but if your thoughts are genuine if your actions are genuine then please if online activism is the best successful way to you join it but you have to make sure that your values and the reasons you're joining this movement is genuine otherwise you're doing more harm than good Boom, I love it, preach. Um, so I want to talk a bit about how COVID-19 has like changed your approach to activism and like what 2020 looked like for you. Yeah, I I had originally just started very community organizing based and I did, COVID-19 kind of gave me the opportunity to expand further than Cork. Um, I was actually, I really wanted to work at home in India, but obviously living here, it wasn't that easy. But COVID and how everything became digital gave me the opportunity to work in multiple different areas. Like I worked in the US, in India, in Uganda, but for me, I kind of lost myself a tiny bit. I kind of focused really on the international aspect of organizing. Um, and it wasn't until after I attended this sort of week, weekly program by Polluters Out called Fossil Free University that I realized my activism has to be grassroots. It has to come back to people organizing. And that 
that sort of class happened during COVID-19 and that sort of changed everything for me and made sure that I'm no longer focusing on the international impact but on the impact it has on the, on the grassroots communities um, and which is why I've kind of I don't work on digital I don't digital strike anymore just because for me personally I feel like I can put my words and my actions and have it benefit a bigger um, have a have a bigger have a bigger impact um, just because I have the time and I have the skills and experience to do more than just digital striking so for me it's allowed me to it's taught me a lot I've had to unlearn a lot of things just because you know I feel at times when I first joined the climate movement I kind of just did stuff I never sat down and was like well, why did I do that is there is there a reason that I chose to do this action is there a way I could do it better I never educated myself until COVID um, because obviously I had enough time and I had no excuses to be like oh I can't so I started listening um, and I can definitely say COVID has honestly shaped my entire actions to this point just because it's taught me so much about the ingrained inequalities and the importance of grassroots activism. Um, and even though today I'm still working on digital projects, whether that be the climate education project I'm working on in Uganda or in Kerala in India, I'm still working with communities, which is what's very important to me. But I do hope that I can go back to community organizing and people organizing after COVID is done because um, there's this sort of term of like, you know, imposter syndrome. And I, 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 especially with the digital activism, I feel that so much because a lot of people I look up to, they they were never digital activists. They were people on the floor who worked with communities in harm, you know, who basically devoted their lives to helping one another on the physical forefront. And when I see that, I kind of have to take into consideration, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I might not be able to do that right now, but I know that I can do that in the future. So in a long-winded way, COVID has really shape my current approach and my mindset on how to approach activism. And going off of um, how it shaped your mindset, how has your identity been affected, like your identity as an activist as a result of COVID-19? Again, it, it comes back to a bit of an imposter syndrome um, because I feel I've met such amazing people through this movement and people that I look up to every single day. And I know I'm very honored to call them my own friends. But there is that sort of instinct of, Ooh, you know, could I do that? Or it's like, I'm, is, what I'm do is what I am doing right now making a genuine impact? Um, and for me, I think there's a benefit to that sort of extra thinking because it makes me more accountable as an activist. You know, because this work that I do, I call it work because it genuinely is work. Um, it's not for myself. It's because I love the people around me and I love my planet. And it's sort of that accountability is really good because it makes me realize, okay, am I doing this action just because it can get media attention or am I doing it because I know it can help people? And I think in that way, COVID has really showed me like where, oh, it's also showed me where I need to stop talking, um, where I need to pass the mic on. And I, I'm, I'm trying to do that as much as I can. Like if opportunities come in and I'm like, I can't really talk on this. Um, I have to pass the mic. And it's, it's taught me that as well because when it was on the ground, you know, I wasn't as connected to people worldwide. So when opportunities came, I was like, oh, I, I can talk about this. The reality was I couldn't. Um, and I'm, I'm saying this right now to keep myself accountable and, you know, be like, I, I did this. And I remember during the initial start of COVID, one of my friends in Pakistan had asked me to give a talk on like health and COVID. And I said, yes. And I don't even know why, because firstly, I'm not a medical student. I'm not a doctor. I have I don't really work in health and COVID, but 
because I didn't know anyone who could take it, I didn't want that conversation to stop. So I offered to do it, but um, fortunately by chance, I didn't get an opportunity because my entire schedule just didn't work. And that sort of made me realize like, who was I to talk about that? So again, very long-winded answers, but COVID has sort of allowed me to become more accountable to myself and to my work, as well as giving me a little bit of imposter syndrome. that you talked about imposter syndrome and also passing the mic because you it's really difficult sometimes to toe the line between what is imposter sy- uh, syndrome and what am I just not qualified to do so exactly. I, I love that so much yeah um yeah so in terms of social justice we keep talking about like the new normal after COVID what do you see for the future of activism um I want to, I want to see communities more involved in decision making like for for far too long we kind of just let those in power sit in their seats and we're like if anything bad happens to us then we'll talk about it you know we've we've never really utilized the power of a vote or a democracy you know a vote is not just the epitome of democracy it's where we're actively involved in the decision making and I I'm hoping to see that in the new normal we have more community um decision making like we have more empowered communities and i think i can slightly see that in ireland when it comes to for example the renewable energy wind farms and stuff by giving by giving those um sort of like ownership to the communities that sort of protection of the land as well as they own that sort of energy they're going to be more responsible to it um i'm also hoping to see more representation worldwide for as as many things as possible because um for far too long like it's literally been the wrong people talking about stuff that they can never imagine how it truly feels you know it, it, for example it's like people it, for example it's um the mother and baby homes that discussion was led by majority white men um and not those who are who know what that feels like and i i don't think um they're actually i'm 100% sure their decision in that government was not taking consideration of the poor women who lost their children and for far too long that sort of lack of representation is the reason why injustice and harm um and inequality is continuing to be ingrained because those in power have no idea what that feels like you know what they're discussing about truly feels like so for a new normal i'm hoping to see a world where justice and sustainability are at the core of all of our decisions regardless of whether they're you know they're related to the environment or not because sustainability is not just a green word it's literally how we live our every single day lives help can be sustainable um the what what the agricultural industry can be sustainable it's not just the environment and for far too long i'm saying far too long so much but um again for far too long we've never taken justice justice and sustainability into consideration it's always been how can the ec- economy benefit and how can we get money out of it that's where exploitation comes from um and i'm also hoping to see again the accurate representation because once we have people in power that understand what it's like justice um and true actions will follow but for that sort of initial step to happen we can't you know i think there is an amazing quote by um a black individual if i'm correct it was like you can't you can't 
break, okay, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's like you can't break the master's house with the master's tools. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, you can't fix the injustice, injustice system within the injustice system itself because it's built to exploit. It's built to be unjust. So, yeah, I think I think that's what I'm hoping for. Amazing. Um, now I want to talk a bit about accessibility because that's what this podcast is all about, how particularly Irish activism, because that's the activism that I am involved in, it can be really um, inaccessible and oftentimes a massive echo chamber. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, to be completely honest, I my work within the Irish activism sphere has been very limited to Fridays for Future physical strikes. And I'm also working a little bit with the Irish Students' Union um, and as well as the UNICEF project. So I'm not entirely sure because the activism that I have seen has been accessible because I am able to do that stuff. But I, I've also heard from a lot of people that like, you can't strike every Friday. There is a little bit of a um, a sort of thing that's like, oh, Friday's for future. You have to strike every Friday. I don't strike every Friday. I'm also one of the organizers for Friday's for future Cork and I don't strike every Friday because I can't. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of individuals can't I feel uncomfortable calling themselves an activist because they're like, oh, I can't do what they're doing. Um, and it comes back to this entire mindset of like the perfect activist, someone who is vegan, someone who only buys eco-friendly stuff and strikes every Friday. That may not be accessible to you. Um, I can definitely say from my sort of financial aspect, I can't always afford to buy eco-friendly stuff. Um, on a diet aspect, my entire family, we're not all vegan, but I personally, I'm trying to reduce my stuff just because I understand the impact it can have. But it's the entire aspect of like, we're seeing this one sort, one-sided sort of activism in Ireland, which is like, oh, the young climate strikers every Friday. We're not seeing the activism of like people power, community organizing, because that's just something, you know, we've always done, um, especially in Ireland being such a small country and our communities are so interconnected. That's sort of like, oh, Johnny needs help. Let's go and help him. That's community organizing, but we've never sort of given it that respect. Um, and actually I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on how Irish activism has been inaccessible. Absolutely. Um I am quite new to the activism kind of sphere. So I would say a lot of the thing, it's very mystified. First and foremost, there's a lot of acronyms, say like MAPA, uh, most effective people in areas, um, especially in climate activism. There's a lot of kind of cloak and veil stuff going on, I suppose, sometimes. And that's not a criticism of anybody. It's just sometimes it's okay to simplify things down and to say hello to beginner activists and there is a lot of outreach in organizations such as that mm -hmm. but sometimes they're not getting to the right places because it's online and you have to be following the instagram or you have to know somebody i am yeah. only in a number of activist groups because i know somebody it's word of mouth it's nepotism and i know it's always been like that in ireland <laughs> i know uh, like job wise even but I think it's time to open it up and say that you can do this if you don't really know what you're doing. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. I think in some ways it's linked back to like cancel, cancel culture in our generation as well, that you're very afraid to put a foot wrong because you're constantly being um, seen everywhere, mm -hmm. whether that's online, whether especially online and especially in 2020. So that's basically my thoughts on it and also just 
inaccessible information is at the forefront of this episode and this podcast that need to empower youth voices but we need to empower all youth voices and the core of this episode is really exploring whether activism can be something you dabble in and something that you're bad at or is that reserved only for the privileged so i'd really love to hear your thoughts on that i oh my god so firstly um when you were saying that like the irish movement lacks representation it genuinely does like i can tell you in the hundreds of activists that i know within ireland I can probably name three people of color, potentially four. I don't know if he still does activism within Ireland, but I can I can name three. Like one hand is all it takes for me to call out, like name the people of color that I know. And second, like people in um, like the traveling community, I can tell you we almost have none. And it's those individuals who are living on potentially the edges and facing the majority of it because it's always the marginalized communities. So and I, I can completely understand what you mean with the inaccessible information. Like I've been in this movement for three years and there's still a lot of information that I'm like, I have no idea what this means because it's it's honestly made to be like that. It's made for that information to be inaccessible because once you start giving people the truth, it scares them and governments don't want that because that puts more pressure on them. Um, so I completely understand the inaccessible information thing. And can you repeat your last question? You had talked about, do you remember it? I, I actually, I do not. I, um, yeah, um, we can cut this bit, no worries. Um, I just want to say that I think as long as information is hidden, the longer it's going to take for people to go to the streets Mm -hmm. and the longer it's going to take for actual change to happen. So I think maybe some of the Irish organizations, it's not a criticism, it's just the way that it works at the moment. They need to go back to, you said activism is acting. We need to go back to that core. Yeah. Yeah, and we need to go back to bringing more people in because like, for me, I, I've actually had the fortune of working with amazing people worldwide on this international organization called Re-Earth Initiative. And I'm working on socials. And one of the things that's a priority to me is active outreach, you know? Especially in this movement, we cannot just expect people to, we can't wait for them to sign up. We have to actively outreach. And that comes when we're finding speakers. There has been incidents um, within the climate movement, I'm not gonna name which organization, where people have not taken the steps to do active outreach to find diverse representation. They've looked into a group chat and they've said, okay, who wants to do it? You can join in. It's, you know, we you need to do active outreach because that's the entire point of breaking that eco chamber. That's something I'm proud to say the Re-Earth Initiative has done and is continuously doing. It's breaking that sort of eco chamber because if you continue to educate those who know what it is, you're not making any difference. But if you break past that eco chamber and you reach the masses and to educate them, that sort of information will go down throughout generations. Um, and I can definitely say that like, one thing that me and my, a few of my friends realize that whenever we put out an opportunity for activism within Ireland, it goes out to the same activists. And it's like, I can tell you, I'm probably in like all of the Irish activism chats, which is atrocious because I mean, we might be a small country, but we have so many issues within ourselves that we could tackle if we had the masses. And I was actually on a podcast with the Maynooth Student Union a week ago, a, a while back. And my fellow panelists had said, we only need 171,000 people 
within Ireland to do something about um, whatever action you're protesting for to make a genuine action. Statistically, that's so possible. That's what 6,000, 6,000 or about that per, per state, per, not per state, per county. Um, and it just goes back to actively outreaching. Like we need to go back to the doors. We need to go back to the schools. We need to go back to like school communities, whether that's reaching out to every single green schools in, in a county and going, we are doing this. Do you have students who want to join? Instead of just putting it out there in sort of this echo chamber and expecting those who are already part of something to continuously do so. And I think sort of that accessibility depends on the organizers doing active outreach. Yeah, I think there's some uh, really fine balance between activism being a personality trait and understanding that activism in every aspect is linked. So like climate issues are uh, linked to racism and social justice and that kind of thing. But at the same time, is it okay for the same people to be in every single organization? And is it, do we need to pass the mic on to somebody else or are we the only ones who are going to do it? And I just think that's a really interesting concept, especially in the context of being in such a small country Mm -hmm. and essentially just being around the same people all the time and hearing all the same ideas. Yeah, I think just if you talk about the individual themselves, that's a very, like they're very spread thin, like because, because the activism, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of like continuous meetings, a lot of pre, pre-meeting prep. It's a lot of document organizing. Um, and when you make the same people do it again and again, that's that's a burnout. That's on the individual level. Again, like I really like the point you said, you know, it's the same people saying the same things, listening to the same people saying the same things. If that was the case, we'd have one project that manages it all. The thing is, we're not taught on how to engage in decision-making. We're not taught how to engage in activism. We're not taught how to engage in political information. Um, And that's why like, it's those of us who unfortunately, unfortunately, who have had the opportunities to sort of learn ourselves, who are able to stand up and be like, oh, I can take part in this because I know what's going on. But a lot of the times people can take part in something because they're like, what does this mean? Like, what's like this report and all of that. I think it comes back to the aspect of we lack that education. Like if I don't even know how the local city council works, I shouldn't have to research that myself. I studied CSPE, didn't learn a thing about that. You know, like I should know, um, like I should know, how can I get in touch with my TDs? I should, like a bill getting to know, sorry, excuse me, knowing how a bill gets to becoming a bill is great, but how can I engage in that? How can I engage in this process of decision-making? We're never taught about that. And that comes back to this whole idea of inaccessibility. Like a lot of us in the Irish climate movement are able to do what we do because we had to take our, the steps ourselves, you know, the steps to educate ourselves. And that's again, another privilege because we have the resources to teach ourselves, the time to teach ourselves. Um, and I think that's why we don't have a lot of people in this movement in Ireland, because a lot of us are still like, but I don't understand what that means. Or I, I've never had experience in this. Like I can see it because we have opportunities and we're like, oh, sign up for it. And people are like, oh, but I'm not as experienced. You learn from experience. That's the only way we have to learn today because our current education system is not working. Um, and if I may, that's actually something I'm quite passionate about, which is why myself and a good friend of mine, Beth Darcy, we're working on a project to bring that education into mainstream. You know, sort of a website that teaches you this is politics 
this is Irish politics, this is organizing, this is what all of these fancy jargon terms that even I don't know to, to this day means because it, it's come to the point where we can no longer depend on our current education system to educate the future. It's on to us to do that. So it just goes back to how people don't want us to revolt because they know change will come. And that's why we have to revolt. Absolutely. And I think we need to look at there's a reason why so many people who are interested in debating and law are interested in activism. And it doesn't always have to be those people. You don't have to be a good speaker. You don't have to know how to do graphic design. You don't need to find a niche. Do you know what I mean? I think if we had enough people in the sphere that you could just be there and you could just be. You don't need to be anything else um, for anyone else. You just need to take to the streets and you just need to act because I think and there's as long a lot as you're of... willing to try as well sorry like as long as you're willing to try like I completely understand that like you might not have found your niche yet because when I first joined I didn't but it, it's the aspect of being willing to try and that's what we need and I think you had touched upon this a bit earlier about this per- sort of idea of a perfect activist that does not exist it's literally this entire movement is filled with people who are willing to try willing to learn and willing to unlearn but yeah I think I cut you off there no, not at all. Um, yeah, I really like what you're saying. I think it's really refreshing to hear some voices of people who have been in the activist movement a little while and can kind of criticize and understand why it is the way it is. And in a way, it's not a criticism of youth activists. It's the critic- it's a criticism of the system created around it that really it makes the activist bubble, if you will, the way it is um, in Ireland. and. Do you think that um, making the activist bubble more international would um, make that better or worsen it? Or what's your kind of thoughts on that? Um, Just one point I'd like to say very quickly is that, you know, we're not, we don't know how to do this. You know, not the entire youth movement, we're not taught how to do this. We're doing this because we have to. So like there are downfalls, there are things we can learn from and that's just natural because When you're starting out on a venture where you have absolutely no clue what you're doing, but you know you want to do something, there will be that sort of learning downfall. But um, on your question on making activists more international, it helps you to see past a sort of an um, acronym, a sort of saying that I could sort of use, you know, it helps you to see past your own back garden. Because, you know, for far, for ages, we've just been focusing on, okay, is the, is the flowers in my garden growing? Is my neighbor's flowers there? don't really mind but it's the flowers in my garden growing um and by making activism international you hear about the gardens in other countries you're like wait that garden has been bombed for the last three days straight that garden hasn't reached gotten water in years or months you know and that sort of international approach lets you see the reality of the situation because you know for example stuff like world war one world war two people who weren't focused in that area were never affected by it. like my my grandparents lived through world war ii and i've asked my brother has asked them and they're like oh i didn't know about it you know it's that sort of thing like you know we're so focused in on our little back gardens we never know what's happening outside and i think approaching an international aspect it's great because you hear the truth and you see the truth because a lot of the times a national media tend to hide it um and even i can tell you today in itself in India, the COVID situation is absolutely horrible. People are dying upon dying. Um, the situation is so bad there. The hospitals don't have places to bury the dead. So they're out on the streets. 
and it's the people um, organizing for jobs, people organizing for resources. It's the people, individuals, like normal citizens who are like, okay, I have to do something because those in power aren't. And today in itself, um, the government has asked Twitter to delete those threads, to delete those threads of providing for help. Um, and the Delhi police have also said, you know, don't put your numbers out there because you're not supposed to be spreading that information. It all comes back to governments not being able to help. And it see, that information would not be heard if you weren't involved internationally, or you weren't following someone who isn't Irish and potentially Indian, you wouldn't know that's happening. But as great as it is to be involved internationally, you have to remember the grassroots change is the way for it to go. Because you, you can look at the Paris Agreement, you can look at the United Nations, not much use because they're not legally binding. But grassroots stuff is legally binding. Grassroots campaigns, grassroots pressure, grassroots activism is powerful and we cannot forget that. So yeah, that's it. Amazing. So to finish out, I have one more question and that is what would you like to see from the media, activist media to make activism more accessible? Um, I think sort of, oh, okay, I'm gonna have to think like how I want media itself like the global media to act from now on right um give the space to other activists you know that's something i've seen a lot is you know some of my great friends they're great speakers but they're continuously being asked to say the same things over and over again and if media were genuine about who they want to speak they'd give that opportunities to again actively outreach to other people um for example there are some amazing people within my own organization and i have media emailing us as the organization not the individual speakers because obviously which information can they find the easiest ours um so yeah passing the mic on to other activists you know we're not a a one-off sort of movement we have millions in this entire movement the first thing second thing is um accurate representation of what's going on you know indonesia has been flooding has had situations have we heard about anything no i want to see active representation um of the worldwide news and not just what's happening in the us in uk in europe i want to hear what's actually going on in the world um and thirdly change their money you know put their money where their mouth is if they want to talk about climate justice and social justice put that money where they believe it should be because a lot of the times there are fossil fuel powered individual powered media companies um and that comes back into banks as well and banks providing money the entire system of capitalism and injustice is so intertwined that you cannot do something without engaging within the capitalist system because every single thing we have in today's world is intertwined with capitalism but that that's moving on to another point but yeah those three things it's just like move your, put your money where your mouth is put your yeah put your money where is that the phrase put your money where your mouth is yeah there we go put your money where your mouth is active representation and pass the mic because the media is how we know what's going on in the world and they have that power and they're not using it properly cool so thank you so much for this interview it has been an absolute pr- pleasure 
Uh, for our listeners, where can they find you on the internet if they want to um, like follow up? So I'm not, I'm, an, I'm a grandma when it comes to technology. So my Twitter is nearly dead, but I'm quite vocal on my Instagram. So it's Tessie is hungry. Um, it's, it's sort of my little, my little name now. And I don't have an activism account because again, activism, activism is on my personality. It's something I do on the side, but I do talk about a lot of other things like comprehensive sex ed, women's rights, India, and activism. So if you want to hear more about that, Tessie's hungry is the one. Amazing. And you can find all that on our social media at The Understation. Thank you, Tessie, for this amazing interview. It has been an absolute pleasure. Perfect. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. This is very fun. That concludes the very first episode of Beyond Our Station. I want to extend a warm thanks to Teresa. You are such an eloquent speaker and it has been such a pleasure to learn from you. I cannot wait to see what you do in the future. I'd like to thank the amazing Beyond Our Station team. First of all, the outreach team, Sophie Mullet, Eren Abedinolu and Rachel O'Reardon, with special thanks to Rachel for organizing this episode. Our social media team, Raffaele Jealous and Shimon Prak. Rob McNabb, our graphic designer, and Jason Kaz, our wonderful sound editor. You guys are so dedicated and talented, and it is a pleasure to work with all of you. Special thanks to Sirsha Kavanagh. She is very talented and she composed the music for this episode. You can find her at SirshaKav underscore music on Instagram. And thank you all so much for joining us today. If you or anyone you know would like to come on the podcast, hit us up. We're always looking for new guests and new ideas for episodes. You can find me and all the team on every platform at Beyond Our Station. Let's keep looking beyond our back gardens. Let's keep growing, keep trying, and ultimately keep acting. So finally, from me and all the team, a big thank you. This is Grania Condren signing out for the very first episode of Beyond Our Station. See you soon. See you soon.